Hello, this is Nigel Craig here, and this is a podcast of a sermon preached in Belmont Presbyterian Church on the 8th of January 2017. It was part two of the big story of the Bible. When I used to drive home from Belfast to Donegal, I would often lose radio reception as I went over the Glen Sheehan Pass. This was sometimes in the middle of a lively debate on PM with Eddie Mayer. Very frustrating. I'm sure you also know the annoyance when you lose coverage on your phone. There are no bars when there should be four. And so you look like a bit of an idiot in front of your neighbours as you hang out the window trying to get a signal. Or how do you feel when you're trying to look at a picture online and the little arrows on your 4G just aren't moving? Or the Wi-Fi is weak and all that you can see is a little circle going round and round and round. Well, we can all get annoyed when something doesn't work as it should. More seriously, how do you feel when things don't go well in life? How do you feel about your health when it deteriorates? Your family when it breaks down? When things aren't going well in your job or when your bank balance is not as it should be? How do you feel when your kids take a different direction from the one you'd hoped they would follow? How do you feel when the church isn't the place that it should be? What about our wee country? What about the UK, Europe? How do you feel about our world with conflict, terrorism, global warming and so on? Well, if you're frustrated about these kinds of things and are looking for answers, don't worry, you're not alone. You're simply articulating in your own way the age-old question as to why suffering, sadness, disappointment, death, decay and evil are permitted in the world that God has made. If a good God made a good world, and is supposed to be in control, why is there so much wrong? An attempt to explain our broken world in a satisfactory and consistent way is defined by philosophers as a theodicy. According to the philosopher Alvin Plantinga, theodicy is, and I quote, the answer to the question of why God permits evil. Today I'd like to share a little of what the scripture says about this by looking at Genesis chapter 3. As I mentioned last time, over the next couple of months, I'm going to attempt to give an overview of the big story of the Bible, what theologians call the meta-narrative. And I would encourage you to consider how you relate to this big story. Last week we looked at the first instalment, the creation of the cosmos, the world and humanity. We considered some of the ways in which Christians have interpreted Genesis 1. We also considered what it meant for human beings to be made in the image of God. We thought a little about God's ordering of gender, marriage and sexual practice. And finally, the rhythm of work and rest. But we finished with a question. Why is there such dissonance between our world and that of the ideal world set forth in Scripture, especially Genesis 1 and 2? To answer that question, we must turn to Genesis chapter 3. Disconnection. Being made in the image of God means many things, but it especially means that we are made for a relationship with God. We are spiritual creatures. We are homo religiosus. But why are things not as they are supposed to be? Sadly, this next episode in the big story is one of major disconnection in the friendship between man and God, a disconnection in the divine human relationship. Genesis 3 is set in the Garden of Eden. In his love, God the Creator had given Adam and Eve extensive freedom within paradise with one 
Caveat, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now considering the multiplicity of trees, the prohibition could never be described as mean. If we understand that God is the king, who has set generous bounds on the freedom of his subjects, then this simple command to honour his rule seems more than reasonable. But Satan, in the guise of a snake, casts doubt on what God has said. Did God actually say? Verse 1. He proceeds to deny outright the word of God and questions God's good intentions for them. Verses 4 and 5. You will surely not die. The leader of the Scottish Reformation, John Knox, remarked that Satan drew mankind away from God by pouring into their hearts that poison that God did not love them. As we know from Genesis 3, our first parents doubted God's word, rebelled against his rule, despised his goodness, and declared their unilateral independence from him by partaking in the forbidden fruit. What took place then, with Adam and Eve disobeying God, led to three major points of disconnection in their lives. First of all, disconnection from God. Immediately there follows a breakdown in the relationship with their Creator. Instead of Adam and Eve running to God when he appears, they run from him and hide. Loving respect for God is replaced by cringing fear. Genesis 3 and verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. On that day, they died spiritually. God kept his word. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. They who were once connected to God are now disconnected. Consequently, they cannot remain in his paradise. They cannot live on in his presence. Goldsworthy writes, It is impossible for God to remain true to himself and at the same time tolerate his dethronement. So Adam and Eve reap the consequences of their disobedience by being expelled from paradise. Cut off from the source of life, they have died spiritually and will die physically. Secondly, disconnection from each other. Tragically, their disconnection from God led to their disconnection from one another. God questions Adam first. But what is Adam's initial response? To blame his wife. Here we have the first domestic in history. Genesis 3, verse 11. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. When God turns to Eve, she immediately throws the blame onto the serpent. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Passing sentence in Adam and Eve, God permits frustrations to enter their family life. Loving submission and respect will be replaced by marital disunity. 
This poison would then infect the rest of their family. In fact, Genesis chapter 4 records the very first murder, a fratricide, when Cain kills his brother Abel. If you read on in Genesis, indeed, the whole of the scripture, you will discover one dysfunctional family after another, not to mention unrest in communities and wars between peoples. Then thirdly, we see disconnection from the world around them. The primeval disaster leads to the disruption in the relationship between humans and their natural surroundings. Harmony is displaced by hardship, and you can see that in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. The last time I told the story about the great evangelist George Whitfield, who was once preaching to a crowd of tens of thousands, a man went to hear George Whitfield preaching but as they approached and heard what he was saying his response to his wife was he's talking about something that happened thousands of years ago what's that to us maybe that's how some of you are thinking right now but the christian response would be genesis chapter 3 has everything to do with us for we are all caught up in these events how come Let's re-look at our three points, the disconnection from God. If we're honest, we all know that disconnection from God. We know our track record of distrusting him, disobeying him, doubting him, living unilaterally from him, running from him and trying to hide from him. We're all spiritually dead because, because what has gone on in our lives. But scripture goes a step further than many of us are even prepared to go. Not only are we disconnected from God by what has happened in our own lives, but we are born spiritually dead because of what has happened in Genesis chapter 3. Let me try to explain simply. In Romans 5, Paul writes that sin entered the world through one man. It's as if Adam was infected by sin and we, his descendants, have all inherited at birth his condition. For example, nobody teaches a child to lie. Nobody teaches a child to lose its temper or steal. It's inherent. If you like sport, and in particular football, if your goalkeeper lets in a goal, he doesn't just let himself down. He lets down the whole team, and the whole team loses. And on the other side, if... Your striker scores a goal. He doesn't just score the goal for himself. He scores it for the whole team. If I could put it this way, Adam is our goalkeeper. He lets in the first goal. He sins. And we all lose. We all inherit his sinful nature. And we all die. Why is there suffering, death and decay in our world? Scripture says it's ultimately the result of Adam's sin. As with Adam and Eve, disconnection from God leads to, secondly, disconnection with one another. And there's not one of us who doesn't know the stinging pain of disconnection in our human relationships. Why is there so much pain in families, marriages, between friends, within churches, workplaces, neighbourhoods, communities and across the globe? Because of human sin. And thirdly, who hasn't failed to notice that the natural world is a volatile, dangerous place in which to live? Why? Adam's sin has led to our disconnection with the world around us. Romans 8, 
20 to 21 speaks of the creation being subjected against its will to futility and slavery to decay. Again, the scriptures would say the result of human folly. We might ask, when will all the pain, suffering and death end? Genesis 3 replies, according to Levi, this is when it all started. But there's a golden thread, or should I say a blood-red thread, running through the big story which describes God's successful efforts to reconnect with us. And this is my second major point today. If we turn to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we see the first hint of God's reconnection plan. Even under the shadow of Adam and Eve's rebellion, even at the moment God is pronouncing his judgment, he is also announcing his strategy of grace. Our hope will lie in the seed of the woman. Now what is this referring to? Genesis 3 and verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Or as it might be put in another way, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. When God promises that the seed or the offspring of a woman will crush the head of the serpent, he's making the unveiled reference to his son, Jesus Christ. It's what we call the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel promise in the Bible. This seed, to use an appropriate analogy, analogy, will grow and mature through the Old Testament. The chosen reconnector will one day come from the family line of Abraham, whom we'll hear about next time, from the nation of Israel, and eventually from the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And by his life and death, he would deal definitively with the cause of our disconnection, our sin. By his death and resurrection, he would crush sin, death and Satan. The head of the serpent would be squashed. But in the conflict, as we know, Jesus himself would be wounded, mortally wounded. His heel, as it were, would be bruised as the serpent struck back. Adam disobeys. Jesus, the second Adam, obeys. Adam's sin leads to death. Jesus' obedience leads to life, resurrection life. Adam causes the mess, Jesus fixes it. Adam is the head of the old humanity, Jesus is the head of the new humanity. Adam's side loses, Jesus' side wins. The question we must ask ourselves is, whose side am I on? By trusting in Jesus Christ and entrusting yourself to him, you can be on his winning side. But Jesus not only came to re reconnect us to God and bring forgiveness and life, he also came to reconnect us with other people. You see, the church is supposed to be the home of the reconciled, those who are reconciled to God and then to the people around them. The, the church is to be God's new society, his new humanity. So if you've been reconnected to God, are you willing to be reconnected with people around you, to be reconciled to people in this church? in your church, in your family, in your circle of friends, and across even the divide here in Belfast. Maybe the reason why people choose not to be reconciled with those around them 
is because they've never been reconciled to God in the first place. But the good news doesn't end there. One day, Jesus will also completely reverse the catastrophic consequences of sin on this world by recreating the cosmos on the last day, which is the final part of the big story. But we're not there yet. Sin, suffering, disappointment, death and decay are still very much a part of our lives. But today we can reconnect with God through Christ and we can begin to reconnect with others whilst longing for the day when the creation itself, and I'm quoting here from Romans 8 and 21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.